I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. Oh, yeah. that's Chris. I'm okay, anyway, we're recording. Hello. <laughs> Hello, Dennis. Hello. Good morning, gentlemen. We are... Uh, Good morning, Jesse. We are approaching the uh, runway for this wonderful voyage that has been the liturgy and the Roman Missal. So I'm excited. Are you talking about the end of season six? Say it ain't so. Well, yeah. Season six, end of, end of this you know little uh, segment that we're doing, but... I think there's been a lot of great information to glean from all of this, and there's still more yet to come. So uh, we should be able to, to to complete all of this in this episode, this week, and next week. So, Chris, where did mm. we leave off? Mm, I think we finished with the uh, Eucharistic prayer. We spent a couple of episodes doing Eucharistic prayer, and so now we're on to the uh, communion rite. So if anybody is uh, reading along at home, this is a general instruction of the Roman Missal beginning at number 80, or if you're uh, reading in the Missal, we're at the communion rite in the order of Mass, which is number 124. You guys ready? Ready to go to communion? Properly disposed to uh, talk about this? I'm not worthy. (laughs) We're not worthy. We're not worthy. But you will lead me. That's the spirit. So at number uh, 80, it says, uh, the celebration of the Eucharist is the Paschal banquet, and it is desirable that in accordance with the Lord's command. Remember we did a podcast once on uh, it's imperative that you do these things at Mass? Remember that? Maybe we didn't do that. Uh, yeah, I think we talked about that. Yes. There we talked about imperative words that appear in the Mass, like mm-hmm. uh, uh, orate and ite. Oh, yeah. And, of course. Okay. Oferte, I think was that one. Well, so the Lord's command is one of these. So this uh, uh, accipite and bibite and manducate, these are all... Take, eat, drink. Yeah, yeah. So these are commands that the Lord gives. And so why do we receive? It's because Jesus commanded us to do so. Okay, so the Lord's command that his body and blood should be received as spiritual food by absolutely everybody. Well... No, that's not what it says. As spiritual food by those of the faithful who are properly disposed. This is exactly the point of of, of this debate about uh, uh, Canon 915 and others is, you know, the, the reception of communion requires a proper disposition. And I've often thought it like, um, you know, if you take medicine, right? Some medicine you have to take on an empty stomach, some on a full stomach, some you have to drink water with, some you have to drink milk with, just things like that. Some you have to have a contrite heart. Well, yeah. I mean, and if you receive things that are good for you, but you're not properly disposed physically, it can harm you, right? Well, the um, the Eucharist is uh, divine medicine. And if you receive it without a proper disposition, then uh, it's it can do great damage to you. In fact, in the um, the on the Feast of Corpus Christi, they do one of the sequences, what they call the sequence. We should do a podcast on the sequences. But the this is uh, from St. Thomas Aquinas, writes uh, in the Lauda Zion, uh, something about um, everybody is sharing in the same feast, but what diverse dooms preparing, endless life or endless death, right? So if you receive the Eucharist uh, without a proper disposition, 
it's not only not going to change you for the good, it might, uh, well, in the words of St. Thomas and the church, uh, lead to damnation. Right, so the the proper disposition that we're after here, at a minimum, right, is you have to be free from mortal sin, which is something gravely sinful that you know is gravely sinful and that you choose to do anyway. I mean, that's kind of a at a minimum. I mean, it's a very important thing, obviously, but it's uh, at least that much. But the other thing about the disposition is that uh, there has to be a willingness to be transfigured. And transformed, right? And so this uh, requires a great deal of, deal of docility and humility and willingness to want to cease to be what you are and to become something uh, else. Actually, Dennis, I've been meaning to ask you. Um, are are you about... disposed? <laughs> <laughs> no. None of your business. No. Along these same lines, uh, uh, you you had mentioned in a podcast that there was some some liturgy conference you were at with uh, Father uh, Cameron. It was about preaching or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, that uh, the question everybody in the church wants to know. What's wrong with me and what do I do about it? That's it. I, that's it. I couldn't quite remember it, but it's, it's this same sort of thing. There's something wrong with me that I need to leave aside so that I can become something else. And if you're approaching communion without that type of disposition, then ain't nothing going to happen. Right. So, I mean, I think there's a sense in the world now that communion is required or communion is your right, no matter what, or receiving communion that is. But uh, no, it's never quite been the case. You have to go to mass, right, on Sunday and Holy Days of Obligation. You don't have to receive communion. Now, it's better to do it, which is what 80 says here, right? It's desirable, with the Lord, keeping with the Lord's command, right, that it should be received by those who are spiritually disposed. So it's a two-part movement there. Yeah. All right, so that's what AD says is that this is the sense of these uh, these preparation rites for communion, and these are the Lord's Prayer, the Rite of Peace, and the Fraction of the Eucharistic Bread. They're all meant to dispose recipients to receive the Eucharist worthily so that they may be divinized and God may be glorified. Sure. Why would you receive communion if you didn't know what it was? Right? You hear the gospel, you hear the readings, you hear the homily, you hear the words of the Eucharistic Prayer. If you don't know what you're receiving by then, then you're Pretty much not paying attention, right? Yeah. Well, apparently, though, if these Pew studies and Kara studies are to be believed, there's a lot of people who don't understand or want what it has to offer. So, anyway. Okay, but that's the context we should understand. The Lord's Prayer, the exchange of peace, and the fraction. So, let's go through these uh, uh, in the order named. So, at number uh, 81, what's your, do you have your uh, germ open, uh? Your old germ. Well, I actually have a new germ. You need too. new germs. Oh, well, you what? <laughs> I have one. It's the one for England, though, which is to make it more complicated. I finally get a new one, and it's not for America. But really, what did what did this happen? Uh, you went out and ordered one, and it was the wrong one. Well, it's the Catholic Bishops' Conference of England and Wales put it out. So they spell hmm. germ with an e at the end because <laughs> they're from England. Yes, it's Germany. <laughs> Uh, so what do you want me to say? What's on 81 there in the Lord's yeah, prayer? A petition is made for daily food. Aha, right? Give us this day our daily bread. It's interesting. We're about to receive it, which for Christians means preeminently the Eucharistic bread and also for purification from sin. So that what is holy may be in fact given to those are holy who are holy. That's great. Is that how yours reads, Chris? Uh, no, it is a little bit different actually, okay. but it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah, so we think give us this our day this day our daily bread means bread, but also it's forgiveness from sins. I know um, Bishop Barron talked years ago about 
the Latin translation of daily is not just every 24 hours that uh, St. Jerome translated into super substantial bread. Give us this day oh, our kidding. super substan substantial bread, something higher than mere earthly bread. And mm. how it became daily. Do you happen to know? Neither of you know how why it's daily and not super I substantial. <laughs> it just seems pretty, pretty darn different. But uh, those who are holy may give that which is holy may given to those who are holy. Now, Chris, Jesse, anybody else? We've heard Pius X and others and Pope Francis continue the line, the Eucharist is a medicine for the sick and not a reward for the holy or a reward for the perfect. But when you read this, it kind of sounds like it is. The holy is given to That's the holy. was going to be my question, so I'm glad that you brought this up. Oh, okay. I don't know that I have a retort. And our but. question today is from <laughs> Jesse and Dennis. I have a few ideas, but... You go ahead, Chris. Me too. Yeah, that, that's what the church teaches, right? You don't have to be perfect to receive the Eucharist. Uh, you know, it's when you, you're sick, you go to the doctor, you know, like they said. Or, but there, there's a, there's you at least have to have a, a minimal disposition for this uh, uh, for the medicine for the Eucharist to work. Uh, again, just like a natural medicine, I think there's a there's maybe a, a sounder analogy than I first thought, but. Right. We've talked about Jansenism before, which was this strange offshoot of Calvinism from the end of the uh, Reformation, which set up for Catholics this idea of Catholic guilt, as we talk about it. And you have to be perfect and perfect, 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 perfect. God won't love you if you, unless you're perfect. You'll be fried unless you're perfect, as opposed to open, willing and meeting these minimum criteria. So if you're free from mortal sin, I suppose you are in the condition to receive that. And then you ask for these other things, right? Our Father and other prayers to be made worthy, and uh, that's enough, right? That's the church's minimum. Yeah, and isn't there like you know my my take on this uh, just could could be wrong, but uh, the desire for holiness, you know, is is sanctifying in and of itself, right? You know, the desire to be united in in Christ is is uh, part of that disposition, right? Yeah, at least to the level of venial sin, I would think for sure. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, the you foster the desire, and Jesus through the church meets that desire, fulfills that desire uh, by giving uh, the Eucharist. But yeah, if you don't have any desire for sanctity, then <laughs> uh, you're in the wrong line, I think. Uh, yeah, but it is, uh, you know, but this business about the, the Eucharist and sin is. I don't know. It it is kind of a strange one, right? I mean, does the Eucharist forgive sins? I've, I've well, yeah, right. Yes. Venial sins, right? Yeah, yeah. If it forgives venial sins, right? But uh, to to receive it in a state of mortal sin, not only does it not forgive those, but it sort of compounds the problem uh, for the recipient. So, yeah, you don't need to be. It's not super a, mortal. Yeah, super substantial <laughs> bread becomes super <laughs> a super mortal problem. Um, yeah, you don't have to be perfect, but you at least have to bring to the table <clears throat> uh, a certain minimal amount of uh, of readiness and openness uh, to receive. Yeah. But I mean, think about, you know, when, with the words of the Our Father, okay, so the, the, the parts here are, there's, uh, it says here, there's uh, an invitation at the Savior's command informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, which incidentally seems to be the only option now. Used to have other ones in the older sacramentary. So there's an invitation, then there's the Lord's Prayer, then there's the embolism. You remember we talked about the embolism once? That sounds like a problem in your brain if you're not paying attention. Right? <laughs> well, what, what's what's embolism mean? Remember our favorite well, word? Bowl means throw. Yep. 
M. And M means to... Into. That's right, Jesse. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it means literally thrown in. So like, yeah, if you have a physical embolism, you've got something thrown into your heart, your brain, something like that. But this is like an insertion. So it's thrown in there. And that's where the priest says, uh, deliver us, Lord, of... What does he say? Deliver us, Lord, we pray from every evil. Okay, and then the people give the doxology. So this is the part, but it, I mean, listen to the words. Uh, everybody knows they're our father, but I mean, who listens to them? So it's petition from bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray from every evil. Hey. Grant us peace. Help us in your mercy. Free us from sin. Save us from all distress. I mean, so the the tone and the meaning of all of these prayers is about forgiveness, peace, mercy. All right. So here's the, we'll anticipate the liturgy question. Should you be holding hands at the Our Father? No. Okay. Why? I mean, it's one thing to say no. It's but not why? in the book. What's the re- Okay, why isn't it in the book? Because it doesn't signify the meaning of the words. Bingo! Right? Because what what is... <laughs> can, you, uh, can you do that? Yeah. Know it, that word and sound? Like more <laughs> the bingo is after math. Michael, can you mass. cut and repeat that bingo a few That's times That's going to be my new text alert. Bingo! <laughs> okay, so if if the unseen reality is about freedom from evil, protection from distress forgiveness of sins, what would be a good external sign or expression or manifestation of that? Not holding hands. Groveling right? so, on your face. Is, that's right. That's <laughs> We should insert that into the missile. Bingo! That would be at least more consonant with, uh, with what's going on. So that's why I think it's not in the book and not recommended by the church is it's sort of a, it's just, it's an incongruous sign given the reality that's taking place there, right, and so, and again, think about what these parts of the communion rite are about: fostering a proper disposition to receive the Eucharist. All right, so free me from sin, give me your mercy, reconcile me with you, with my neighbor, and uh, and all of these things. But it feels good, Chris. When, I, when we all hold our hands together and then raise them up like some kind of yeah, fascist yeah. salute at the end, that's, that feels- makes us feel good. Feeling good actually appears in, uh, what was that, number 39? <laughs> well, your translation, yeah. What is My yeah, translation. Yes, yes, yes. Say that. Yeah, not a principle of liturgical reform. <laughs> Feeling good. Okay. All right, let's go to the next one, the rite of peace. What do you? What do the, uh, what do the Brits say at uh, number 82? The rite of peace follows by which the church asks for peace and unity for herself and for the whole human family and the faithful express to each other their ecclesial communion and mutual charity before communicating in the sacrament. So this might be a more appropriate place to grab somebody's hand, right? And exchange Mm. peace because this is about uh, union with with one's neighbor. Go ahead. Can we talk about peace a little bit? Because I think people these days, you know, everybody's doing peace signs and waving and smiling. And it's kind of like, hey, good to see you. And they see their old friends at Daily Mass. And it doesn't seem to have much of a uh, a sacral character or a, a ritual character. Mm-hmm. And uh, what are the acceptable signs of peace? Or it's yeah, well, the sign of peace, not a sign of peace, right? So, Well, look at that, that second paragraph there at 82. As for the actual sign of peace to be given... The manners to be established by the conference of bishops in accordance with the culture and customs of the people. So we're, we're kind of a peace sign culture. No, I don't know. However, 
it is appropriate that each person in a sober manner offer the sign of peace only to those who are nearest. Yeah. Okay. So it has to, I mean, yeah, if this were a devotional type of prayer exchange, yeah, you could do patting on the back or hugging or (laughs) peace out or whatever it might be. But this is a liturgical and ritual uh, expression. Right, so I think we did a podcast on the the sign of peace, and at number one fifty four, it says, uh, "See if you guys remember this." According to what is decided by the Conference of Bishops, all express to one another peace, communion, and charity. While the sign of peace is being given, it is permissible to say, "The peace of the Lord be with you always." To which the reply is, "Amen." And, ooh, and with your spirit. No, because I would say to you, or you would say to Kim, or whatever, oh, the peace of the Lord be I with you always. And since Kim or you or you know uh, Isaac are not clerics, you would not respond right. to them, uh, indicating that they've received the. Spirit. I see. Sorry, I, I, yeah, that's between between the laity amongst the laity. Yeah, yeah. Got it. I've never been in a mass where that's been done, and I don't know. Quite frankly, I don't know how that would. But I look at you, Dennis, and say, the peace of the Lord be with you always, and you say, amen. And then do you say to me, the peace of the Lord be with you always, and I say, amen. I say, who do you think you are? You're not a priest. You say, one, two, three, peace. The peace of the Lord be with us always. <laughs> yeah, so it is a little ungainly. This is what I say back to you. Bingo. Bingo. <laughs> so, peace of the Lord be bingo, with you always. Bingo. This does at least indicate sort of that sobriety and the nature of the... Right, so everything in the liturgy gets stylized uh, and sort of elevated and becomes heavenly, you know, at this point. And so this is this you've never exception. been on a college retreat, Chris, so you don't you don't know <laughs> yeah. a life teen mass or something like that. Yeah, you have to go hug every single person. Well, again, isn't that an example of the 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 what happens when you confuse liturgical and devotional? Yep, mm-hmm. is you get the the worst of all. <laughs> and I know, I know I've said this maybe three or four times over the years in the podcast is that the rite of peace, as it was before the council, was a very solemn thing, right? The priest would kiss the altar, receive the peace from Christ, give it to the deacon, the deacon would give it to the subdeacon and so on. It was, it was very much like a kind of, I don't know, proto-communion. You received something from Christ signified by the altar, and then it was given from one to the next, sort of like the light from the Paschal candle, and then the candles are lit from one to the next. So it's not just like, hey, buddy, what's up? Now, the sign of peace as we have different is a little bit different than the old peace, right? So it's indicating the unity and Christian charity of the group. In other words, what do you say here? Bringing them together as the members of the mystical body to unite them to their head, and then, again, dispose them to receive the Blessed Sacrament. So if your sign of peace doesn't dispose you better to receive the Blessed Sacrament, but suddenly calls you out of your preparation to receive the Blessed Sacrament, then something's mm. pretty wrong there. Yeah. No, but I, you know, and it is supposed to do that. I mean, if you are to be, to receive communion is to unite the body of Christ. And if you hate the guy who's sitting in the pew behind you because he's been singing terribly or something like that, the whole mass or whatever the reason is, then uh, that's not the proper disposition. And that's not only not going to help you, but it's, well, I don't know. Yeah. What if you it's hate not going to help you to the degree? <laughs> what if you hate the guy who's giving you the peace sign during the sign of peace? And so then it actually becomes a sign of division instead of a sign of unity before receiving yeah. communion. Chris, is that why you never sit with us when we go to mass together? You're- Bingo. <laughs> I hate all of you people. Yes. Now let me go to communion. <laughs> uh, 
But you know, the, it, it does say, uh, there's this word, if appropriate, the priest or deacon says, uh, let us offer each other the sign of peace. Uh, and so this, uh, during COVID times, uh, it was deemed inappropriate to actually exchange the right of peace. And I don't know where what it's like where you all are now, if you're back to exchanging the sign of peace or not. Are Some you? places we are, yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah now it's totes appropes, but during COVID, <laughs> not but so I, much. I do think that, you know, uh, Jeremy Priest and I wrote a handful of these things for Adoramus Bulletin once about bringing back X, Y, or Z, A, B, or C. Well, this, and this was one of those is when the sign of peace returns, you know, rather than just saying, okay, we're going to do the sign of peace again, but hey, why not do a little catechesis about what it means, what its place is in the communion rite, so on and so forth. But I don't know if that's happened either. Probably not. Let's go to the third thing here that uh, the germ indicates is meant to properly dispose us, right? So we have the Lord's Prayer asking for sin and forgiveness, protection from evil. We have the rite of peace, which is meant to bring about a, a, a communion with uh, the members of the assembly. And the third thing is the fraction of the, well, the germ says the fraction of the bread. A little uh, side story here once. Mm. Uh, it was, I think it's before an ordination, we produced these booklets and Bishop Callahan came in and says, he was upset that we were calling it in the booklet, the fraction of the bread. He says, I'm supposed to be out there teaching people that it's not just bread. And then you show up with a booklet that says the fraction of the bread. And I thought, yeah, why did I do that? And I went back and I'm like, oh, well, this is how the bishops translated it. So, yeah, but so all the same, we, we, well, we, we change it now to. Well, it says Eucharistic, it says Eucharistic bread in the sentence. It does in the sentence, but not in the heading. But yeah. uh, in our little booklets at ordination, we always call it now the fraction of the Eucharistic bread. But anyway, what you got there at 83, Dennis or Jesse? I, it says uh, the priest breaks the Eucharistic bread with the assistance, if the case requires, of the deacon or concelebrant. You want me to keep going? Yeah. The gesture of breaking bread done by Christ at the Last Supper, which in apostolic times gave the entire Eucharistic action its Stop. name. Okay. Yeah. So this is a Christian uh, precedent. It com goes back uh, to Jesus himself. Now, this next uh, part is very important. Go ahead. It signifies that the many faithful are made one body. Okay. Signifies. What's the root of that word? Uh, sign. Yeah. We just can't, you can't do the liturgy without signs. So... Yeah, it signifies, and it signifies uh, unity. And if you keep going through number 83, and I think there's another paragraph uh, of this as well, it signifies unity in three ways. It, 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 uh, it signifies um, the faithful in the church. You think, well, if you're breaking things apart, how does it signify unity? This was my thinking as I was preparing for this, right? But, you know, you um, what's that... Uh, What's that song that's based on the Didache? Do you know that one? Jesse's girl. Bread once oh, scattered sorry. on the hillside was in this broken bread made one. Don't know that one. Crickets. Anyways, uh, it's about, right. So if everybody uh, partakes of the same bread, this is uh, this signifies the unity of the people in the church. It signifies in that next paragraph, the priest breaks the bread and puts a piece of it of the host into the chalice yes. to signify the unity of the body and blood of Christ, right? So it signifies, I mean, before he does this, what is in the chalice? Water? No, no, no. After the consecration of the chalice, what's blood in of Christ, Christ's blood. And? Uh, nothing. That's it. No, no, no. There's three other things. 
Water? <laughs> no. There's, there's some water, right, with a drop of water? Body, blood, soul, and divinity. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, yeah is yeah, the yeah. body of Jesus... Oh, my gosh. I knew that. Is the body of Jesus in the chalice? Yes. Okay. Is the blood of Jesus in the host? Yes. Yes. Can't He can't be divided. 2,000 years ago, you could divide him up and kill him. That It's impossible now. So this is what's called... Uh, yeah, here's your here's your $1,000 uh, uh, reward. What's that called? That Jesus is present whole and entire under each species of the Eucharist. You know what? Uh, Eucharistic um, continuity. Oh, it's close. So concomitance. 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 Oh my gosh. Right. That means like he's it. indivisible, right? So it signifies, you know, but the wholeness of Christ, even though he's whole in the chalice and whole on the patent. This signifies the unity of the body and blood in uh, in Christ. So can, can I t- ask, I, I mean, I know I know in theory like how you're going to answer this, but like the language that we're using is breaking and fraction. And, mm-hmm. and But on the other side of that coin, we're using the word unity. So how can something be broken and unified in the same way? I, yeah, no, that, that's, I was thinking just that same thing. Uh, it, it does seem like, whoa, whoa, wait, what? So... Dennis, what's the answer? <laughs> well, this is where our friend Jean Honey burr, 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 solves our problem, right? So he's talking about the signification of the separation of the body from the blood, which is why there's a double consecration, you know, one of the wine, one of the bread. And then you say, okay, well, here's the signification of the death when your body and blood are separated. But then you break that piece of the host off and put it back in the chalice. And there's the signification of the body and the blood coming together. So you have resurrection. So it's not just everybody being broken, it's everybody being broken and then everybody being put back together. Uh, so if you're yeah. going to enter into the Ooh. mystery rite, right, the, the mystery religion, you know, heritage that we have, you can't be you can't be killed up on the altar. You're just dead, right? So you have to enter into it through the form of ritual. And then you receive the resurrected body, so to speak, of Christ, which is the first fruits of all creation. And then you become the second fruit, third fruit, fourth fruit, or whatever fruit. You prefer to be. Uh, I would be the banana uh, of all creation. Yeah. No, I, I think that's it. I mean, it, it signifies this reunion of body and blood of all of us coming together as grains and morsels, I suppose, of, of a single loaf and things like that. Put back together. Can I give you a little? You guys know I was on retreat, I think, uh, last week. I heard the most amazing thing on this uh, retreat. The retreat director was, was it this, silence? Oh, sorry. <laughs> it was <laughs> only only the uh, retreat uh, director was able to talk. In this case, it was a Father Ross Romero, who's a Jesuit at uh, Get, at uh, Kendrick Glennon Seminary. And it's this phrase you use, Dennis: "Put back together." Mm-hmm. Put back together. What's do you know the Greek word? You do know the Greek word for "put back together." It's if I know it, I can't think of it right now. Symbolize. Oh, yeah. Symbolize. To Sim- put back together. Symbolize. Throw together. To throw together. And he made this observation. I did not know this. There's this, uh, you know, after the uh, the Magi depart, uh, after the birth of Jesus, uh, it says in the Gospel, Luke, that, that Mary pondered all of these things in her heart. Mary pondered all of these things in her heart. The word for pondered. Symbolized. Symbolized. Oh. She put all. She was putting all of this together. He said, in her heart, all of these that these shepherds coming, these angels, these uh, magi. What is going on here? And she's putting all of these things together in her heart. She's symbolizing all of them in her heart. 
Man, retreats. Oh, Good idea. Okay, but one one thing. So we have the 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 coming together of of uh, the faithful in the body of Christ. We have the coming together of the uh, uh, the the appearances of body and blood under bread and wine. And the third thing is the the unity of the bishop. I suppose, with his priests. So it says here at number, well, whatever this is, uh, 83, uh, the priest breaks the bread and puts a piece of the host into the chalice. Do you remember what this, the origins of this is? So in uh, early centuries in Rome, the Pope, who was the Bishop of Rome, would take a piece of and the host. And every bishop would get a piece of host. and then Well, all would... of the priests, all of right. his priests in, in the diocese, so an acolyte, would take uh, a piece of the consecrated bread to each of the uh, churches, and the priest would take that and put it into his own chalice, thus symbolizing or signifying or expressing and manifesting and causing the union of of the churches with their bishop as well. Hmm. So all of this, yeah, it's a weird thing, Jesse. Real good insight, you know, that that a fraction su- should signify unity, but that's uh, that's exactly what it does in uh, in this instance. So yeah, in that sense, everybody's eating from the same host, right? In a, in a way, mm-hmm. same headship. Yeah, you know, if you're going to invite somebody into your house to eat from your table or eat from your, you know, skillet or whatever it is, you know, this would be this would be a sign of sign of union. They each get their own can of uh, Chef Perdi ravioli in my house. That's how <laughs> So it'd be like, you know, in math terms, if you were to divide something, uh, a whole thing, like a pizza, right, into like four quadrants, each would each would be like one fourth or a fraction of the pizza. But in this instance, you cannot you cannot divide something as uniting as Christ. So each of them does not become a fraction, but they each become a whole. Yeah, that's interesting too. I mean, when the priest takes the host and he breaks it in half, how many Jesuses are there? Two. One. one. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Right? When 100 people receive the Eucharist, Bingo! how many Jesuses are there in the church? It's one, right? So One. Uh, yeah. And when we're all made into Jesus as in, the, in our different membership of that body, then we're all united in one. Mm-hmm. In fact, this is why the bishops or when people argue, maybe not the bishops, when people argue about not holding hands during the Our Father, they say it's the reception of communion that's the sign of unity. It's not the saying of the Our Father that's the sign of unity. And so in uh, different ecclesial traditions, you know, Protestant versus Catholic, they have a different understanding of that sign of unity for us. It's the reception of communion. If you don't have communion in your church, then you're going to have to find that unity Mm -hmm. somewhere else. Well, and that's why I think to that point, this is why the bishops are uh, anxious to see that there's a, there's, a c- common postures and gestures for the reception of Holy Communion, but maybe uh, because time's getting along, maybe we should re- we should uh, save uh, receiving Holy Communion for the next podcast. Yeah, but I suppose by way of a, a last word, right? So the 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 communion, the preparation for communion, is is frees us from it, it's to to make us properly disposed by freeing us from sin, reconciling us with other, uh, with others, and bringing us into union uh, in the church. So that's the the gist of it. So anyway, we are so lucky. We have this awesome book. Just mind the depths of it. It's great. Yeah. Hey, maybe for next maybe for next year we should do uh, the order of mass. Uh, take two. Pick up the other things that we didn't didn't. Uh, talk about it, yeah. it really is hard to go through <laughs> something like this because there's just so much you know 
But no. all right, let's uh, let's answer answer a liturgy question. Uh, what do you think about that, Chris? Bingo, B I N G O, <laughs> and Bingo was his name. Oh, mail call, mail call. Oh Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? In my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning. Okay, guys, we have a question this week from Kunagunda. Yes, Kunagunda. She needs. To She's been the most like, faithful listener oh for all God. these years. I know. I know. And uh, what's the guy version that we use? Whoa, whoa, what do you uh, mean, Rudiger? Rudiger. Rudiger. Yeah. Whoa, 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 these are these are just. Made up names? No. no, 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 no. This is when somebody wants to be anonymous. We use that. We use that name because you know sometimes if you're a priest and you're asking a question, you want to be like, "Hey, I should know the answer to this." Or if you're a parishioner and you don't want your priest to know you're asking these questions, so correct. Couldn't although if you're in that situation, probably your pastor doesn't listen to this podcast, <laughs> so <laughs> might be a moot point. I don't know. Well, we're just trying to help, you know. All right. So, uh, Kunagunda says, hi, Liturgy guys. Kunagunda. Hi, Kunagunda. You're the best. You guys are my favorite podcast. I've been enjoying- Jesse, how does she spell her name? With a C? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, remember the other day I I was uh, at Marytown and I was in line for confession and on the benches, they have all these old, like reliquaries. And there was a relic from St. Kunagunda and I sent you guys a picture of that. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, there's a parish uh, named after her, I think, right? Uh, in uh, I think the diocese of Superior Green Bay. <laughs> yeah, she's oh. a, she's uh, particularly beloved in Poland. So you'll often if you see a Saint Gunnagunda parish, it's probably an old Polish parish. Well, this makes okay. sense because this was the shrine of Maximilian Kolbe, so that yeah that tracks I think. Okay. So, all right, um, I've been. Uh, she says I've been enjoying your walk through the mass and listened attentively to your discussion on the offertory as a time when you prepared your self and the world to God. I have a pastor who likes to talk and he regularly tells little stories while he is preparing the gifts right before the barakat prayers. He pours the water and wine into the chalice and tells us some story about something he saw or read about Pope Francis. It's like a little second homily. I find this very distracting. Is this allowed? Hmm. <laughs> Dennis, uh, uh, shout out to uh, Daria Spazano. Oh, L.I. grad. So we, I was drinking, uh, yeah, L.I. grad. Uh, I was drinking a cup of tea a few weeks ago. And what was it called, Dennis? We used to drink this all the time oh, at yeah. the L.I. It was uh, Constant Comment. Constant Comment. It's one of my favorite teas. It's ceaseless, sort of, ch- ceaseless chatter. Yeah, well, we had also Father Jeffrey Kerslake from... Ottawa, Canada, who always used to call it Never Shut Up. So he would say, <laughs> he would say to me, would you like me to get you a cup of Never Shut Up? And that was his code for a constant comment. <laughs> Daria said that Dennis would just, I just can't stop talking about this tea. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't stop talking Oh, that is good. Uh, That's okay. real good. Well, Anyways. That's the whole point, right? Because it's full of spices and orange peel and everything. But we just had a homily in a parish if you've just had a homily and then to tell another little homily while the priest is bringing the the chalice and the patent over to the altar and unfolding the corporal and all that stuff doesn't seem like the time to tell another story <laughs> since you've just told a story <laughs> well yeah right <laughs> yeah it, you know i think um 
you know, very often in the mass too, the, the, it seems the, the tradition and the, um, certainly the Roman rite that the priest saves his breath. Okay. The Roman rite generally is not very prolix, has a, a, a real economy of words. And when instructions need to be given to the people, for example, who's the one to give those? The deacon, generally? The deacon. Okay. And even there's such a thing as, uh, even on the books in the current- uh, The journal, commentator. The commentator, right? I was going to ask you about that. Okay. It's, yeah. it's almost as if the church is saying, uh, priest celebrant, when you're in mass- we want you to reserve your words for sacred language in the prayers, in the perhaps the gospel, if there's no deacon, in the homily. But don't uh, mingle them together was a word we used before. Don't mix them together with kind of mundane types of things. So if the assembly needs to know something, deacon, you tell them. If comments need to be made about buying script after a mass or something, commentator, you tell them. I'm going to say my words for uh, talking to God and from God to you. What do you think about that? It does make sense. And I think the preparation of the gifts, there's a quietness about it intentionally, right? There, I mean, sometimes there's music, there's an offertory chant or something, but um, there's, that's the time when you're you're really preparing yourself and like you imagine a priest walking back and forth from the credence table to the altar and just talking with his back to you and turning around. And it's like, you know, I hear my, my thoughts as I carry the sacred vessels around. seems contrary to the nature of liturgy, as you say, but also something not well distracting from actual preparation for, for uh, preparing yourself. Well, again, I, this, this is just one of many examples of what, you know, it was frustrating to, to many uh, lay faithful. Like, well, I'm going to go somewhere where I'm not going to get constant comment all the time then. Mm, or we shop. start to celebrate the, the books, uh, you know, as prescribed. So, Right. That's uh, 21 in the, the um, order of mass there. doesn't say anything about talking. It's the ministers place the corporal purificator chalice and Paul and missile on the altar. Boom. That's all it is. It doesn't yeah. say story time. All right, good good night. I hope that answers your question. And if you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys. Thank you and God God bless. bless. Another episode of Liturgy Guys has mercifully come to an end. Our hosts are Chris, Get Out of My Dreams and Into My Carsons, Dennis, Big McNamara, and Jesse, Y-O-Y-O Weiler. Our producers are Michael Don't Be So Coy and Nathan First Round Draft Pickman. Our epiclesis inspector is Isabel Ringing. Our liturgical bookkeeper is Miss L. Romano. Our official aerobics instructor is Jen Uflecht. Our enforcer of choral discipline is Don B. Flat. Our official rubrics interpreter is Dewey Neal. Our self-gift provider is Kenosis. Our simplicity enforcer is Fran Siskin. And lastly, our crack team of confessors is Dewey Shrivam and Howe. And even though overstoles become understoles when they hear us say it, we are the Liturgy Guys.